Ladies and gentlemen, now entering the basement wing in at 237 pounds, he is your host, the man in the mirror, Jordan Tyler Wallenberg. Welcome to Wazzas! Let's get fucking listening, baby! It's me, it's your man, it's your main man, it's old Walls, and I'm back with you ladies and gentlemen, episode number 67 of Old Walls House, coming your way. So I just want to say thank you guys, so thank you so much for uh, for watching, or not watching, maybe, 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 sneak peek, uh, kind of breaking my mind here, uh, listening along with us, um, coming back each week and just hanging out. Appreciate it. I appreciate all you again. I'm having a blast. Hopefully you guys are having at least a little bit of fun listening to me here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you guys could, you know, the deal housekeeping time, If you guys could please rate review, comment, subscribe, share, tell somebody about it, wear that shirt. You got, uh, if you want a shirt, let me know. Owalshouse at gmail.com. Hit me up. Let me know if you got questions. You want to say something. You can always call do the call in line too. So um again, I appreciate everybody. Thank you guys so much. Got a fun show coming up. Got a uh, got a big special guest, Ethan E. Sexton, to talk some baseball with us. Um talking the golf at Harbor Town. Uh we've got uh, some fights to talk about. Uh NHL playoffs are about to start. NBA playoffs to start. I haven't watched anything yet. I won't talk about anything yet, but in the future, probably. Um, and as always, you get my passing thoughts. So without any further ado, let's get to Welcoming back to the program, everybody's favorite, uh, I guess we're going to have to call him a baseball expert, Ethan E. Sexton. What's up, E? What's up, Wally? Yeah, at least an expert for Old Wall's house. I don't know, you know, maybe in general that's a little too strong, but uh, I'll take it, man. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, we got a low bar here. Uh, the term expert gets tossed around pretty easily uh, here on yeah. Old Wall's house. So. You know, when, when daddy's your betting expert, you know, <laughs> yeah, just messing, just messing, daddy. Daddy's about uh, eight and like 25 lifetime and uh yeah we, we keep bringing him back as our betting expert if you fade him he's a fucking awesome expert for you so <laughs> yeah. awesome man so hey we're what about what three weeks into the the mlb season here now uh kind of starting to take a little shape starting to see what's going on i, I think where i wanted to start was a couple big rule changes we had a we got a pitch clock and we got some bases being expanded in size so uh, I don't watch a ton of baseball this time of the year, but I've watched more to this point of the year than I have probably in the last like four or five years, just because I was curious about the pitch clock, and it seems to have really made a difference. Like, what are your kind of your thoughts on that? Just to start us off. Yeah, um, I don't mind the changes personally. You know, like I'm I'm a I'm a hardcore baseball fan, right? So I watch pretty much every single Phillies game. I'm happy to just watch basically any team, any time, uh, any day. So the rule changes weren't really for me necessarily. They're more for someone, you know, kind of like yourself or even somebody who pays attention even less than, you know, what you do. Uh, The big one, I think, was the pitch clock, um, which honestly, even as a hardcore baseball fan, I kind of like it, man, because there's no downtime in these games. 
you're watching a game. I mean, you know, the last few years, games could take, you know, three hours, longer than three hours, uh, which is fine by me. I didn't mind it. But, you know, if you're asking me, do I prefer a game to take two hours, 20 minutes to three hours? Yeah, I would say, yeah, absolutely. I have no problem with a shorter game. Uh, so I like the pitch clock actually so far. I think it's been uh, a nice little change, you know, quickens up the pace. There's not a lot of downtime in between pitches, in between innings. Uh, so I, I honestly do think it's for the better, and uh, I, I'm all for it. I got nothing against it. Yeah, I was just looking at some stats. This this article's out like a week old, but uh, average for this year, time of game, two hours, 38 minutes for nine-inning games. Last year, three hours and three minutes. Yep. Um, 238's the lowest since 1984. So, uh, yeah, obviously pretty huge difference. And like you said, like, I, I'm a pretty casual watcher. Uh, obviously, I talk, I, when we talked last about baseball, like, I get into baseball when the, the Indians make the play, or sorry, the Guardians make the playoffs. Like, so that's when I watch. And I have no problem with games taking a long time in the playoffs. Like, that just feels like a totally different thing to me. But for, like, me to watch, like, a, a Sunday night baseball game, like, kind of what I threw on last night, just knowing I was talking today, like, like you said, just like the pace, it's like, holy shit, like, they are, they are cooking. Like, yep. they're moving from one thing to the next. Yeah, we, uh, we went to see the Phillies and play the Yankees in New York City, uh, last week. Uh, it'll be two weeks ago, actually, almost. Um, and I gotta tell you, if you go to a game in person, you better get your food before the game starts, because if you gotta go get food and the lines are long, you could miss two to three innings by the time you get back to your seat. So for everybody listening, if you're going to a game live, I would I would recommend getting there early enough. Get yourself, uh, you know, settled. Get your food and your drinks before the game starts. Because if you got to go wait in line, you're going to be missing some time. But yeah, man, if they're going to shave a half hour off game times, I'm all for it. I mean, you as you know, I like to go to bed early most nights. Uh, so if a game starts at seven and it's getting done at nine thirty instead of ten. I'm all for it, man. So I have no problem with it. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they kind of do in the future. Like uh, when the playoff playoffs roll around, I almost wouldn't mind if they scrapped the pitch mm-hmm. clock or or even if they did something kind of hybrid where it's like, okay, after seven innings, we're going to scrap it because that's the, the nitty gritty of the game. I wouldn't mind if they do something like that. And, uh, you know, they could, they could end up doing something like that. I, I think this year it's going to be a little trial and error, but – so far, so good, in my opinion. I, I really don't see the downside to having it. Yeah, that was the only thing that, like, I saw as a downside was playoff baseball. Like I said, I, I have no problem in the playoffs if, like, the games go long. I just got thinking, like, holy shit, are they going to be, like, firing this pitch clock up and, like, people feeling rushed in the playoffs? And Because right. there's almost something, like, I don't know what the right word, like the romanticism of playoff baseball is, like, the pitcher batter duel, like kind of it taking its time to breathe and like it set the scene gets, gets set. So yeah, I wouldn't, I think I'm with you that I wouldn't mind if they just completely tossed it come, come playoff time. And it's almost, it's almost akin to like hockey, right? So hockey, when they change the rules and they did one overtime period, four on four, and then they go straight into the shootout in the regular season. Well, in the playoffs, I believe I'm not a hockey expert. Um, but I believe in the playoffs they scrap that and they just play overtime right. five on five until the game is over. I, I, I think is how they do it. So it'd be interesting to see if they do something kind of similar with baseball in the future potentially. Yep. Yeah, and the, then so the other big rule change was they made the bases bigger, kind of. Yep. And I, I believe the idea, and it's, I think that's worked as well, is to get more stolen bases, people trying to steal bases more, 
And I guess this kind of pairs into the, the shift as well. No more shift. So just kind of walk us through kind of each of those. Yeah, I think the, the, the base change rule and the, the pickoff change where you get two pickoffs now as a pitcher, uh, and if you don't get them in the two pickoffs, you get a third one. If you don't get the guy, he automatically gets second base. No. Uh, I think they kind of did that partly because guys will do five, six, seven pickoffs, and it adds to the length of the game, which is they're trying to cut down on. Uh, and also, they want more action in the game. So stolen base is an exciting play for baseball, right? Because you got a guy stealing, boom, catcher gets it, throw down, tag, safer out. It's kind of a more exciting play. So I think uh, they ended up doing that with the pickoff change rule and adding uh, a little bit of a larger base size to try to incentivize base runners to steal. And uh, so far, teams have been running like wild. I I don't have the exact numbers, um, but, you know, Cleveland leads uh, leads the major leagues with 25 steals in 16 games. Uh, Baltimore's right behind them with 24, and the Mets have 20. Uh, so teams are running, and teams are running with a much higher degree of success. Uh, so just taking Cleveland, for example, uh, 25 stolen bases to only four caught stealings. So it, it's it's working uh, as intended. It's getting people to run more, take more bases, a little more action in the game, uh, which I think was also similar in their minds uh, for why they banned the shift. Um, you know, teams were shifting well within their right and within the rule sets the last few years. You would uh, third baseman would come over against a left-handed batter and play in short right field. Uh, just, you know, it, it really kind of killed some left-handed power hitters careers. Like the guy I, that comes to mind uh, for me that kind of ended up killing his career. Now he had injuries at the end and stuff too, but Ryan Howard, who was mm-hmm. a stud for the Phillies for years, big power hitting left-hander. Uh, once they started shifting on him, he, he it kind of just screwed his career because he, Balls that, you know, he'd rip into right field. Well, there's a guy standing 20 feet into the outfield now, and it's a ground ball out. Uh, so I, I think they wanted they wanted more hits. They wanted more stolen bases, more action in the game. Uh, and I'm all for it. So it, it's been fun to watch so far, and I've got no issues with any of the rule changes. I mean, outside of the pitch clock, but, like, the other rule changes have been, you know, almost a direct, like, in direct opposition to like kind of like the money ball style of baseball, like, you know, made famous by the movie that is based on the Oakland A's in the early two thousands. My favorite part about that movie though, is that they never once mentioned that they had like one of the most incredible pitching staffs in the history of baseball. Right. <laughs> um, or the, or the uh, American league. MVP yeah. Mikel Tejada doesn't even get mentioned one time. Um, <laughs> But yeah, but like the, the, these rule changes seems like they're in direct opposition of like no stealing bases. We're going to just try and get on base with it in any way possible and prevent that in any way possible. So it, it's and a lot of people will point to like, oh, analytics has kind of made baseball, you know, a little less palatable to the to general masses. Like you said, it takes away those, you know, those outfield blooper hits or and, you know, line outs and things like that that would have would have snuck their way through a, a, against a non-shift. So, and now the rule in the shift this year is two infielders per per side of second base, right? Yep, correct. And, and the infielders need to have their feet on the infield dirt. Okay. So they can play as far back on the infield as they want, but they can't, you can't have that guy taking, you know, 20 steps out into right field to take away a hard hit base hit or, or something like that now. So those, that's the rules with the shift. And yeah, it's, it's opened up some more action in game. So uh, I, like I said, I'm all for it. 
Nice, nice. Well, now that we kind of got the uh, the new and and before we move on, the DH was a couple of years ago in the NL. The DH was uh, they did it. So they did the DH in 2020 during the pandemic season, and I believe last season, yes, last season was the first year. So 2021, they went back to the NL having the pitcher hit, and then they when they did the collective bargaining bargaining agreement coming into the 2022 season last year, uh, the the DH in both leagues was uh, one of the things they added in. Got it. Okay, I knew that was I knew there was something to do with the pandemic here, and then it kind of got added going forward. Yep. So. Would you like that or no? As a as an NL baseball team, love it, fan, love it. No, listen, nobody wants to see the pitcher hit, and people were bitching about it a little bit. Like, what about Madison Bumgarner? He hits home runs. Yeah, he hits one home run every like hundred at bats. <laughs> and yes, it's exciting when that happens. But the other ninety nine at bats, he he looks terrible. So I'm all for it. And you know, partially biased too as a Phillies fan, if we didn't have the DH last year, I don't think Harper would have been able to play at all because all he could do was hit last year. Mm-hmm. But in general, I think who wants to watch the pitcher bat when you can watch you know a ninth hitter bat in every lineup of every game? So it adds to that excitement factor. You're not watching a pitcher get struck out on three pitches or hurt themselves running the bases or something like that. You're watching an actual professional hitter up there. So yeah, I'm, I love the DH rule. I'm glad they did that. Got it. Got it. Well, let's, uh, let's kind of run through the divisions then and starting in the, you know, the original division of the, uh, or the original league of the, the DH, the AL, uh, AL East, the, uh, the Tampa, the Tampa Bay Rays. Sometimes this year they're, they're the devil Rays again. Um, uh, they're 14 and two, 10 and all at home. They are off to a bang and start, huh? Yeah, just a really good team. Um, you know, we neglected them a lot last year, which, uh, Clarky from Clarky's corner, uh, he didn't really appreciate too much. So we got to give them their due, man. I mean, you start the season 13 and oh, I don't care who you're playing. Uh, you know, you heard, you could hear some detractors saying, oh, they played three teams that are all going to lose a hundred games this year, probably. Well, I don't care. Baseball is a sport of so much variance. Any team can be any team on a given night. Uh, so if you win 13 games in a row at any point in the season, that's an impressive feat. Uh, Tampa Bay, just really smart, man. Really smart, well-run organization. They don't have a lot of money. Uh, so they have to kind of outsmart you with how they build their rosters and how they do certain things. And, you know, they're going to win on pitching and defense primarily. Uh, but offensively, they've been incredible so far this year. So a, a great start for them, 14-2, uh, and two, as you said. Uh, the, the most impressive thing to me so far is their plus 72 in run differential, uh, which is not even – I mean, not even close. The, the second highest team in run differential, uh, I believe, is the Milwaukee Brewers at plus 28. So Tampa Bay is so far above – where the second place team in run differential is. And that just uh, attributes a little more to their hot start. I mean, they've been just incredible to start the year. Uh, They have some high ranked prospects in the minor leagues. They can call on if they need to at some point and a really lights out pitching staff. And I think they're going to be a tough team all season. Now we are a 10th of the way, 16 games. So a 10th of the way into the season, tough to probably tell this, but how sustainable is, I mean, obviously they're not going to, win 14 of 16 for the rest of the year, you know, in each 10 breakout. How sustainable is this for the race? Kind of what's, what's the upside for them? What's the downside? Where do we see the rest of their season going? 
Yeah, I mean, I think they'll absolutely be in the mix in the AL East, excuse me, all season long, uh, which is, I think, what people were predicting uh, for the most part anyways, uh, even before the season started. Um, You know, if you look at the AL East, you got the the Rays, the Yankees, and Toronto, who are three really good, really strong, really deep teams, and all three should be in the mix fighting for uh, the AL East crown throughout the season. I think all three are probably going to end up being playoff teams. So, you know, you'll have a division winner and your two wild two of your wildcard teams, I think probably come out of this division uh, just because I think all three of those teams are super strong, super deep, really well run, uh, really strong teams. And then, you know, you've got Baltimore who's an up and coming team. Uh, they don't have the pitching to compete for the championship uh, in, the, in the division this year. Uh, they got a great core of young position players that they're starting to call up guys like Adley Rushman, Gunnar Henderson, who's off to a, a pretty rough start, but a talented player. So Baltimore scrappy. I don't think they can compete for the title, um, but they should be, you know, in the mix, probably around a 500 team. And then Boston can hit, but Boston cannot pitch. Uh, so they can get you on a, on a given day with their offense, but it's just a, it's just a tough division top to bottom. But I do think Tampa Bay should be right there when th- uh, push comes to shove at the end of the season in the playoffs, uh, potentially winning this division. From what I've seen and read and just my kind of light looking into it, the AL East seems like it could be the best division in baseball. I think I think that's fair. I think the AL East and the NL East are the two strongest divisions, in my opinion, um, if the Phillies can get it going, which I think eventually they will. We'll get there. Uh, Don't but, worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, I'll, I'll leave that till we get there. But, yeah, I think I – think, AL East is a pretty easy argument uh, for for toughest division in baseball. Just like I said, three stud teams, Baltimore up and coming. They're going to be competitive and Boston can at least jump you with their offense on any given day. So a a strong division top to bottom for sure. Got it. Uh, Moving over to the AL Central. That one seems like kind of a two horse race, right? The Twins and, and my Guardians. Yeah, I think Chicago has the potential to go on a run. But they haven't shown it. Uh, you know, we've uh, people have kind of expected more from Chicago the past few years, and they just haven't been able to do it. They have a strong, solid roster. They just can't get it all put together. Uh, Cleveland and Minnesota are the are the top two teams in the division for sure. Uh, Detroit and Kansas City are both still rebuilding. They're pretty weak. They're not going to have much to say this season, uh, except for hopefully some of their younger guys start playing well for them. But yeah, I think. You know, Minnesota was my pick at the beginning of the season, uh, much to your chagrin. You know, he gave me a little stick for it. And it's nothing against Cleveland. I think both of those teams should compete for the title again this year, much like they did last year. Um, But, yeah, unless Chicago can kind of get things going, uh, they have the talent on the roster to do so. If they can't get things going, then I think you're you're right. It's a two-horse race between Minnesota and Cleveland. And uh, Cleveland now, they seem like they're starting to kind of put together a little bit of a roster over there. So what are we about, a year, maybe two away from them starting to blow it all up and start shipping everybody out of town? Yeah, it's been a couple <laughs> years since they traded Lindor. Um, but I'll tell you what, they did, a, they did a solid job in that trade because, you know, the two big pieces they got back were Ahmed Rosario, who's been mm-hmm. their shortstop the last couple of years, just a solid player, and Andre Semenez, who's uh, been playing shortstop for him who had a really nice year last year and is off to a good start this season. I mean, neither guy, in my opinion, is the superstar level of potential talent that Francisco Lindor is. Mm -hmm. But when you're Cleveland, 
And, you know, a lot of other teams are like this. You're a small market team. You don't have the biggest budget. Lindor probably just wanted too much money. Uh, you know, they locked up Jose Ramirez, who is a better player than Francisco Lindor, in my opinion. They locked him I up agree. because he took a, a team-friendly deal. Uh, and he would have got a much larger deal on the open market, but he wanted to stay in Cleveland. I'm assuming that Lindor, you know, wanted to go. And it's his right as a player. I have no problem with it. Uh, wanted to get that bigger money, and Cleveland just couldn't get to that level. So they turned him into some solid assets that have helped their team uh, remain competitive. This is pretty bad for me. They just signed somebody to a longer deal just recently, and I'm, I'm. It was, I believe it was Andres Jimenez. Jimenez. Okay, that, that's what I was thinking, but I, I just didn't want to say it and be wrong. Because I, I believe Jimenez signed a long-term deal, like seven uh, years for like yeah, a buck sixteen or something like that. Yep, I could probably find it. Yeah, it was a seven-year, $106.5 million contract extension. Yep. So a pretty solid deal. He's been a really good player. He's one of the guys they got for Lindor, so it's nice that they're going to keep him around for a long time. And I believe Ahmed Rosario, the other guy that was the key piece in the deal, Mm -hmm. he's a free agent after the season. Um, Cleveland is blessed with a lot of middle infield talent in the minor leagues. So it'll be interesting to see whether they can get a deal done with Rosario or they just move on and bring up some of these younger guys. Got it. Cool. Well, uh, AL West, let's move over there. Uh, I know the uh, the Guardians played a few, uh, at least one or two, I think they've played two series already against the Mariners. Uh, so I've seen a little bit of them. Much going on out there. I mean, it feels like the Angels ever, it feels like they should be better with the kind of talent they have, but, you know, they're not... They're already under 500 this year. We gonna yep. see anything out of them this year? I mean, Shohei and Mike Trout, and it feels like they're they're done playing baseball every year in September. Yeah, it's been a bummer for sure because you want to see those guys in the playoffs. Um, you know, this division right now is close. You know, Texas is on top at nine and six. Seattle's eight and eight. L.A. Uh, Anaheim is seven and eight, and Houston seven and nine. Uh, we don't need to talk about Oakland because they're the worst team in baseball. But those four teams, um, obviously the Astros coming off the World Series, they're off to a slow start, but they're going to be in the mix, you got to figure, uh, when push comes to shove at the end of the season. Texas off to this great start, plus 20 run differential. They've spent a lot of money in free agency in recent years. And if they can keep their pitching staff healthy, you know, Jacob deGrom is the best pitcher in baseball when he's on the mound, but the injury concerns uh, that come with him, they can keep them on the mound. You know, Texas has a nice team that should be competitive. Are they a team that can win the division? I think if they get enough, you know, going their way with the health and kind of stuff like that, sure. They could be in the mix. So you got four teams that really should be in the mix all season long, more or less. Uh, You asked me about the angels. I think the one thing we're seeing with the angels is they're going to be aggressive this season because they know, their only chance to keep Otani uh, once his contract ends at the end of this season is if they get into the playoffs. Because this guy's more than likely wants to go to a team. Uh, the Dodgers are heavily linked for next offseason. Uh, he, he wants to be on a team that's going to be in the playoffs and win playoff games. So the Angels have been aggressive to start the season. Uh, they had a shortstop, David Fletcher, who got off to a horrible start. And they promoted their top prospect, uh, Josh uh, Zach Neto, excuse me, uh, this weekend, Saturday, they, they called him up. He was just in the draft last year. So he hasn't even been, uh, you know, in professional ball for, for a full year yet. 
and they're aggressive with him. He was lighting up double A. He started the season, I think, a couple home runs, was hitting like 440. And they said, you know what? Our shortstop stinks. Let's get him up here. This guy's talented, and we need to stay competitive in this division because we need, if we want to keep Otani around, this is our last chance to make a strong impression. What's the price tag on him going to be? Man, that 50 mil a year at least, it would be my guess. Um, if I do a quick Google and say, like, if, I'm trying to think what the largest MLB contract is right now. Uh, I think it might be Trout. I'm not sure. So Judge signed nine years, 40 million, right, in the offseason? Yep. So Otani is essentially Judge at the plate, but he pitches 180 innings and is elite on the mound as well. Mm-hmm. So I think at minimum we're seeing 10 years, 50 million. Um, but who knows, man? It could be more than that. Yeah. But, I mean, we, we're watching the unicorn, right? Like, nobody since Babe Ruth has done this. And Otani is elite at the plate, and he's elite on the mound. So that, that contract's going to be uh, pretty insane, I think. Yeah, I mean, I just was running, like, thinking about that. And I, like said, yeah, nine years, 360, so 40 a year for Judge. Harper's yeah, minimum. Harper's. Yeah, minimum. So he's getting at least 400 for like 10 years, probably, right? For Otani? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that'd be 40 mil a year, but I think he's honestly going to get 50 mil a year just because he's, you know, elite in two positions. Um, Angels have that kind of cash to do that? Like, it's. Uh, I don't know. Their owner wanted to sell the team. So I really think it depends on. I think he is rich enough that he could do that, yes. Uh, but I think it's going to come down to, does he want to stay there? Um, the fascinating thing to me is if they fall out of the race, does he get traded? Okay. I don't know if they'll do that or not. I'm hoping they're competitive enough where that won't matter. So <laughs> I think they do have the money, but I think if they don't show something this year, Otani's, uh, he, he's going to be gone. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Let's, uh, let's stay on the West end and move over to the NL. <clears throat> Excuse me, battling a little sickness here. Um, NL, the another big spending team, the Padres. They're kind of in it with you know. Can they? Can they? I mean, I assume the Dodgers are still the team to watch in the NL West. Like, can the Padres compete with them? I see the Diamondbacks are kind of out to a, a decent start here. Yeah, I think you know the Dodgers have been the class of the division for so long that it's hard to really bet against them. If you look at these teams on paper this year, the Dodgers are a little bit down, and the Padres have just an, an all star at almost every position. Excuse me, I had to clear my throat there. Um, the D- Padres are off to a little bit of a slow start. Their pitching hasn't been great. Uh, part of that is that their best pitcher, Joe Musgrove, has been on the IL, but he's coming back soon. Uh, Tatis comes back on Thursday. So that's uh, a pretty big boon to their lineup uh, that is already pretty lights out with the likes of Manny Machado, who's off to a slow start. Xander Bogarts, Juan Soto is off to a slow start. So, honestly, I think the Padres on paper have the best team in the NL West this year. Uh, Like I said, you don't really want to bet against the Dodgers. Um, But the Dodgers kind of took a step back with their spending this year with a lot of people alluding to the fact that they want to save cap space to sign Otani, go all out for him next year. Uh, So, if the Padres can get Soto and Machado going, uh, because they're both off to slow starts, if they get Tatis back and he's Tatis, and if they get Joe Musgrove back here and he's Joe Musgrove, I think the Padres probably end up winning this division. 
as long as the, everything comes together for them. I mean, the Padres are arguably the best, you know, team on paper in the entire league, National League or American League. So uh, if they can get it going, right the ship here, I think they're they're probably going to end up winning this division. But it's hard to bet against the Dodgers mm-hmm. as we as we talk about. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, again, just kind of looking at it from the outside, looking in, like. I've just seen the Dodgers. It's like, it feels like the Dodgers have been in, you know, I know they have, but it feels like they've been in the World Series every year for like the past like eight years. And then yeah, at the same, at the same time, it feels like every, it feels like every other big signing is the Padres. So yep. I, it's, it, that's a very, that's like the most interesting division to me. It's like, I, it, I don't know if it's going to be the most competitive and, you know, by the sounds of talking about the AL East, it probably won't, but. That one is like very intriguing to me, so that's one I'm really interested in keeping my eye on this year. I, I think at the top it can be extremely competitive yeah. because I think both teams end up in the playoffs for sure. Uh, and and you know you mentioned Arizona who's off to a great start. They're they're kind of like Baltimore where they've got a lot of young players, young talent starting to break through. So they can be a competitive team. Don't know if they're quite ready to make the playoffs yet this year, but definitely a team to keep an eye on going forward. Uh, but I think LA and the Padres, it's it's going to be a battle to the finish again, uh, and should be should be exciting at least at the top of that division. Uh, Colorado's bad, and I think San Francisco might be bad as well. Um, but the top of that division could be could be interesting still for sure. Perfect. Let's uh, let's head over to the Central then. The uh, the Brew Crew off to a nice little start here. Um, not a ton of separation from top to bottom. Only only four and a half games here early. Top to bottom, what's the what's the central looking like? I believe the the Brewers are supposed to be pretty solid this year, so I think they're the class of that division. Just from the little I know, I would say them in, in St. Louis, but St. Louis is off to a pretty slow start. Uh, I think most people thought it'd be a two horse race between St. Louis and Milwaukee, uh, and then you know Pittsburgh's off to a hot start, but I think ultimately Pittsburgh is not going to be too good of a team this year. Uh, so it should be probably Pittsburgh and Cincinnati in the basement, Milwaukee and St. Louis at the top, and then Chicago in the middle. The Cubs are still like in the middle of a little bit of a rebuild. They're not an awful team, uh, but they're not a great team yet either. So I think they could be solid, a decent team flirting around 500. And, you know, despite this slow start, I think St. Louis, uh, their pitching's been a little bit rough so far. You know, they, it kind of seems weird to say they need Adam Wainwright back. He, you know, he's over 40 years old, but he's just a solid piece in their rotation. Uh, so they're missing a couple guys, and that's kind of got them off to a slow start. Uh, Milwaukee, the, the big question mark, you know, they, they don't spend money either. They had two elite starting pitchers in Corbin Burns, who got off to a rough start but was good last time out, and Brandon Woodruff, who was looking uh, elite out of the gate and just got hurt and is going to miss – uh, multiple, multiple weeks, uh, which was a big blow to them. But Milwaukee kind of wins with pitching and defense like Tampa Bay does. They've got an elite starting staff, and they've hit the ball really well so far. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, when we talked about the run differentials, they're second in the league at plus 28. So it's been a really good start for them. I think ultimately, you know, it'll be a fight between them and St. Louis as long as St. Louis can get things going. Uh, I really think St. Louis, the biggest question mark, is just their pitching staff right now. Uh, their lineup is elite, you know, with Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. Uh, you know, they've got a deep outfield. They called up this 20-year-old uh, top prospect, Jordan Walker, broke camp with them. He's been really good to start the season. 
So I'm not worried about their lineup at all. It's just whether that pitching staff can start to come through. I think ultimately for them to be a super competitive team, they might end up needing to hit a trade, uh, you know, somewhere over the summer and bring in, bring in an arm that can uh, really help them out in the rotation. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess it's time then. We gotta, we gotta head to the NL East. What's, uh, what's going on with your Phillies, man? I mean, I think they what? It was eight, eight or nine games into the season before they finally picked up a win. Yeah, it was it was a, a pretty brutal start to the season. Uh, just the pitching's been awful, and we we've hit sometimes and not hit other times. The pitching set's been rough. I think uh, before yesterday, Aaron Nola won a start yesterday against the Reds. I think before that, uh, the top three pitchers in the uh, I think the top two pitchers, Nola and Wheeler, I think we the Phillies were zero and five in their starts. Ouch! Uh, so the pitching staff has just been off to a horrible start. Uh, they're missing Ranger Suarez, who is a solid number three option for the team, hoping he'll be back soon. Uh, and uh, they were hoping they have a top pitching prospect named Andrew Painter. He's only 19 years old. Uh, he was looking likely to break camp with them. Uh, just a really elite, you know, top of the rotation projectable starter. He's only 20 years old. He just turned 20, I should have said. Uh, but he ended up getting injured in spring training, so he didn't break camp. So they're a little thin in that starting rotation right now, and their top two guys hadn't pitched too well. So it was just a horrible start to the season, really. Uh, I keep telling myself they were awful until June last, uh, last season, and then they went on to make it to the World Series. So there's plenty of time left, but at the same time, you've got an elite team in Atlanta and a really good team in the Mets ahead of you, so you don't want to fall too far behind. You know, they're already six games behind Atlanta, so you don't want to let that gap get too far. Uh, so they need to start picking it up a little bit here, and hopefully they'll do so. Yeah, so you kind of mentioned the top of the division, the Braves playing great ball to start the season, it looks like. And uh, the Mets, I had heard a lot of good things about the Mets going into the year. I mean, is this kind of a, another situation? You mentioned that the NL East was probably the next best division, if not the AL East. Is this kind of another situation where there's probably three teams making the playoffs out of this division? Is that maybe the path for the, the Phillies and, and the Mets? I think I think so, yeah. I think definitely Atlanta and the Mets will get into the playoffs. And I think the Phillies, as long as they turn things around, they should be right there in the mix as well. So I think it's pretty likely that you get three teams out of this division in the playoffs, as long as the Phillies can come good here. Uh, you know, and then I think you get the Dodgers and the Padres out of the West. And I think you probably only end up getting one team out of the Central. Although if the Phillies can't, you know, pick it up and, and, you know, get things going, then I think you get Milwaukee and probably St. Louis fighting for, to get in the playoffs as well. So, um, you know, before the season started, I definitely would have said the NL East and the AL East were the toughest divisions. Uh, I think if the Phillies can come good, then, then that assessment will stay. And just remind me, there's uh, all the division winners get into the playoffs in baseball and there's two or three wild cards. Three wild three, Okay. Teams, I yeah. thought it was three. Yep. So six teams total. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. We kind of walked through all the divisions. Uh, who's kind of the off to the, the front runners of the Cy Young and the MVP? Yeah. Um, good questions, man. Uh, I think right now in the American league, it's, it's, it's really hard to bet against uh, Garrett Cole and Luis Castillo. Uh, both just, both are off to incredible starts. Uh, Cole has a .95 ERA, 32 strikeouts in 28 innings. Uh, Castillo, .73 ERA, 26 strikeouts in 24 innings. 
Uh, both guys have just been lights out, uh, great pitchers. So really hard to bet against either of them right now. Although I will throw in uh, Pablo Lopez for the twins. Uh, they acquired him in a trade in the off season and he's off to a great start as well. 1.73 ERA, uh, 33 strikeouts in 26 innings. So he's been everything they wanted uh, getting him in, in a trade as well. So I think those are probably your top three names uh, in the American league. And then in the national league, uh, it's, it's a little more wide open right now. I think, uh, you know, Spencer Strider's looked really good so far this season. That he's is a hell of a name. Yeah. He's, he's nasty, man. He's only pitched 16 innings, but he's got uh, 27 strikeouts, uh, which is kind of his calling card. He's just elite strikeout arm. Uh, he's given up a few too many runs right now, but you know, nothing awful. Uh, so he's been really good. Uh, Zach Gallen's picked up where he left off last season. Looks pretty strong so far this year. Uh, the NL, I think, is a little more wide open right now, though. So hard to hard to say uh, too much right now for the Cy Young, at least. Uh, MVP races, um, you know, also too early to call, really. But you got some guys off the hot start. Uh, Pete Alonso for the Mets has eight home runs already, uh, which is you know what he does. He just hits a, hits the ball a ton. Uh, he's got eight home runs. He's looked really good. You know, Rafi Devers has seven for the Red Sox. Uh, we kind of talked about how they're a pretty solid hitting team. Uh, it's really just, it's hard to say right now. You know, guys, you know, Bo Bichette's got leads the league with 27 hits, and he's got a 375 batting average. But that is the Bichette I'm thinking of, right? That's his kid? Yeah, for Toronto. Uh, Dante Bichette was his dad. <laughs> Um, you know, Acuna's off to a great start, hitting 373, slugging 567. Oh, trust me, I have to hear about plenty of Acuna bombs in a, in a group okay. chat with Coach Slano. So, yep, that's, he's, he's, that's a he's plenty looking, there. <laughs> he's looking back to his best. You know, you've got a lot of guys, Wander Franco for the Rays. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys off to hot starts, and it's too really too early to yeah. say, obviously. But, you know, so there's a lot of guys off to great starts and a lot of big name guys off to great starts. So, uh, you know, a lot of star players doing what you want them to do and playing well and uh, making the games fun to watch. Perfect. Well, yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of exactly what we were looking for from you here today. E just kind of walking us through the basics, getting us started here. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Sorry, battling a little, a little sickness here. Um, anything else you want to add to uh, to the discussion before we uh, before we wrap it up here? I know I'm not going to put you on the the uh, the clock this year and start asking for. Uh, <laughs> World Series matchups just yet. Next time we talk, maybe I'll I'll start asking. But anything else you want to add? No, yeah. I mean, give me a little more time. Let's let things settle out, work themselves out a little bit before we start doing too many pred- predictions. Because you know, I, I I like to be wrong, you know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, maybe not this early yet. No, I think it's going to be a fun season, man. Lots of good teams, lots of players playing really well. The games are fun. They're shorter. They're not a lot of downtime like we talked about. So I'm enjoying the season so far. Should be a lot of fun as we get going through the summer. You know, I'm excited to see some of these uh, top prospects, you know, get called up and make their debuts. You know, I mean, I'm enjoying watching college baseball as well. I mean, I, pr- I prioritize MLB, but uh, there's a lot of fun college baseball to be watched on, ES- on uh, ESPN Plus. Uh, pretty much can get all the games there. And, you know, the, the NCAA tournament's always a lot of fun, the College World Series. So, should be a really good summer, man, and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how everything shakes out. Perfect. Well, E, thank you again for uh, for bringing the baseball knowledge, and we'll uh, we'll talk again this summer and, and follow up with you. All right, sounds good. You're the man, Wooly! 
Let's talk about the PGA Tour. Harbortown Heritage. Is it the Heritage Classic now? What's it called here? It's at Harbortown. It's uh, the traditional stop after the Masters. Uh, we've got a winner. We got Matt's fit. Fitzpatrick wins his favorite event. Uh, I guess his family, I guess. We got it beaten into us on Sunday. His fam, RBC Heritage, that's what it's called. His family vacation there uh, when he was a kid, and he said this is the tournament he most wanted to win outside of the majors. He goes 66, 70, a Saturday 63, and a Sunday 68. Ends up winning on the third playoff hole over Jordan Spieth. And this was a fun, fun golf tournament to watch. Uh, the the designated events have worked so far this year. This is another example of that. And these dudes were hitting some golf shots coming down the stretch. Uh, Fitz, one of them, hit one not once, but twice. Hit it to the left side of the pin on the 17th hole. The left side is where all the pin is, or all the trouble is, left of the pin. And he hit it on the left side twice, inside 15 feet. Did not make either putt, but those shots were incredible. Incredible. Jordan Spieth was playing some really good golf as well. Uh, he had some great shots. Patrick Cantlay was hanging around. Like the, the, Before we get into like the playoff and stuff, there were some dudes. Like Cantlay finishes one back. He birdies 18, so a little, a little farther out than just a standard one back there. Uh, a backdoor one back, if you will. Xander Shoffley, uh, Sunday 66, that uh, that, that kind of backdoors him in the top five. Sahith Thigala, Sahith Thigala, that name is going to crush me forever. Sahith Thigala, he goes Sunday 65. Um, so some dudes up there on the board. And then you got, you got a couple of little guys, uh, Buckley and Brian Harmon, Little B, my favorite. Uh, Sung J M, uh, known to the sum is... Uh, Asian Nick Place, uh, those two are doppelgangers. doppelgangers. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, I saw some stats that Scheffler was dead last in the field in putting on Saturday, but on Friday he was like fourth, but then on Thursday he was something in like the 60s. Dude was stoning it all day, just could not, could not do anything. Sam Burns, good Sunday round, John Rahm. A, a good Sunday round as well. After I think he got off to a rough start and had a rough Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. His Friday was incredible. Yeah, 68 Sunday, uh, 69 on on Saturday. Nothing awful, obviously. Uh, the 64 on Saturday on Friday. Yeah, 72, two over to start. So that, that was kind of where he, his downfall was. Ricky Fowler, another top 15 with just a one under on Sunday. So he was more in the mix when the day started. You'll have to forgive me. <clears throat> I, I'm battling some sickness here. Uh, Christian Behasen, who uh, 64 on Sunday. Tyler Hatton, uh, Tyrrell Hatton, Tyrrell now. Uh, no real bad score. Jimmy Walker backed up on the weekend. Uh, I think it was two over, two over for him. Yeah, 72, 72, or one over, one over. Was, was part, is part 70 or 71? One over, two over. Uh, yeah, for Jimmy Walker. <clears throat> so, yeah, um, to the playoff. These dudes hit great shots into 18, both Fitz and Spieth. Spieth hits it to, like, 10 feet. Just absolutely beautiful shot. I have never in my life... 
seen a putt lip out softer, you could say. Usually when you see lip outs, they're like hard, like the ball's going, they get in and really rip out of there. Not this one. This ball was just meandering, meandering to the hole. And just ever so slightly, ever so slightly did it dip in and come out. That was a good putt. Good putt. I mean, if that thing is rolling, if that thing has two more rolls on it, it goes in and he wins in the first playoff hole. <clears throat> Again, pardon me for this uh, this this episode here. Um, and then they both hit great shots in the 17. Like I said, Fitzpatrick hits it left of the pin again, which the balls to hit it there is just something else. Speeds hits a good shot and has one literally just break across the face of the of the cup, like right in front of it. That was uh, again. If that rolls has two more rev- revolutions in it, that one goes in. And then Fitz. Fitz just says, fuck it. We're ending this shit right now. Tries to make it from the fairway. I think the final uh, the final distance was five inches on his shot on 18. Just an absolute dart. Dart! Just absolutely fucking stiffs it. Just so perfect. I mean, I did. It hit the ground. I'm like, that thing is going in the hole. It came up just short. Uh. Spieth wasn't able to make the putt. I mean, but a great golf tournament. Like, that was, and the playoff was spectacular golf. Sometimes you get to the end and people kind of stumble it in. Not here. Not here. Uh, Spieth, this was said by the No Laying Up podcast. They're like, I'm not used to Spieth just hitting fairways and greens all day. He's usually blowing it all over the face of the earth. Spieth was playing great golf. He has been playing great golf. Is kind of rounding into form again. Uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick. He's back in the winner's column, first time since winning the U.S. Open. He was dealing with, I think, some neck and shoulder injuries earlier this year and has said that really affected him. Wasn't able to practice when he was practicing, was kind of getting getting off, but he seems healthy again. Uh, so, yeah, two guys to look out for going forward. Uh, PGA is at Oak Hill in a couple of weeks. I believe that is the second, or maybe it's the third week in, in May, so... Not far from uh, not far from the next major. A uh, couple of notes from this week: John Rahm in the uh, in the booth was fantastic. Patrick Cantlay played one from wedged in between uh, the the wood posts uh, on the what was that the fourteenth or fifteenth hole? That ball that should have gone in the water, but uh, got a little wedgy in there. And kind of the big off-the-course news is Jordan Spe- uh not Jordan Spieth, uh, Rory McIlroy withdrew before the tournament started. The The rule this year was you're not allowed, you were allowed to miss one designated event. He decided to not play uh, Kapalua at the start of the year, the Tournament of Champions. This was the second uh, designated event he missed. No reason given. A couple ways to look at that. First... It's not the best look. The guy who kind of rode for the PGA Tour, uh, backing out of now two designated events, this one coming on the heels of a major when probably a lot of people were like, I could go for going home. Now, there are some people who play this event anyway, but John Rahm was like, hey, I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to be there. Um, He's going to lose $3 million of his pit money. I think he was due to get twelve. Now, that said, 
I don't really care. Like, he's getting penalized. Like, he made a decision. Like, he's going to lose some money. And he's going to take some shit for it. So, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Like, whatever. I mean, you're not going to be forced to do these next year. I mean, this is kind of a weird kind of year in between them moving to the full, the whole new schedule. So I don't care. Like, he's losing money. He's going to have to take a rash of shit. Some people are already giving it to him. That seems like a him problem, not a me problem. Like, I don't care. Now, he didn't give a reason. Hopefully, there's nothing, like, bad. Like, there's nothing going on in his personal life. There was, you know... You hope he's not, like, really injured. If he was injured, you'd think he'd just tell it. I think the fear is that maybe he's got some some issue in his personal life. Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully he just felt like taking a week off, and then he just has to deal with the shit that comes his way. That's how I feel. I'm not super upset. I don't think he's a fucking hypocrite. I'm sure you're going to see every fucking live. What's the one live-sucking uh, uh, Instagram account? Uh, flushing it. Flushing it go. I'm, I stopped following him. I, I couldn't take it. Like, all they do is gag on Liv's cock. I'm sure that guy is just roasting Rory up and down. I mean, he puts out, like, 25 posts a day. I'm sure 12 of them have been, Rory's such a heavy. Who cares? I really, like, I don't think it's that big a deal. I think so little happens in golf most of the time that when there are things that are, like, a big deal, like, not even a big deal, when anything happens, it's like, this is a big Rory's skipping the fucking tournament! Relax. Um, next week, Zurich, Zurich classic. That's the two man event. I don't have much interest in that. Patrick Cantley and Xander Schauffele are playing as a team again. They're probably pretty, the pretty big favorite. Uh, one team, uh, David Duvall and John Daly. That team cracks me up. I love it. Uh, I'm rooting for those guys. Matt Fitzpatrick's playing with his brother. So, yeah. That uh, that pretty much wraps up on the golf. Not going to be a lot of golf talk next week um, just because of the Zurich. I'll, I'll touch on it, but I probably won't watch a whole lot. So that uh, that wraps up the golf. So let's talk some fight game uh, this week. First off, UFC, Max Holloway. I didn't watch this. Uh, I, I thought it was going to be on earlier, but it kind of came on kind of late. Didn't see it. Everything I've read, Max Holloway convincing five-round decision over Arnold Allen. Um, yeah, and if you look at the strikes, 56% total strike connect percentage for Max Holloway compared to 34% for Arnold Allen. Significant strikes, 56%. No takedowns, so this fight was 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 on their feet the whole time. Like, that's a absolute recipe for Max Holloway to dominate. Um, Max Holloway bounces back from a loss to, to Volkanovski, which is... Absolutely nothing to be ashamed about. That dude is an absolute G. Um, so yeah, you look at like Max Holloway's last couple, last couple fights. You wonder what he does. Like, do you just shoot him right back up for Volk? Like, I, I just don't know exactly where they go from here for him. He he's fought Volkanovski three times in the last four years. He's lost every time. I just I don't know what. Let's see where he is in the rankings. I don't know what the path forward is for him, like where they go from here. Uh, I mean, yeah, in the pound-for-pound pound list, they got John Jones number one, obviously, and then Volk is number two. Um, let's let's look at it there. Yeah, I mean, Yair Rodriguez is the interim. 
Do you go Holloway and Yair Rodriguez? I don't know what his his fight schedule has looked like. Let's take a quick peek at him. He uh, he last beat Josh Emmett in February. So I mean, you could fire that up. Um, when's Volkan Volkanowski just fought not too long ago when he fought Makachev? Uh, he also fought in February, so it'll be interesting. Um, oh, duh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Vulcan Yair Rodriguez are fighting in, in July. I mean, does Max get the winner of that? What What do you do with Max? Brian Ortega, maybe? I don't know. He's in, uh, it, it's, it's tough when you got a dude like Volk who just dominates it, and Max just keeps coming back, coming back, coming back. But, I mean, four times, four times might be too many. Who knows? Uh, over in the world of boxing, I told you guys about this fight last week. Jaili Zhang and Joe Joyce matched up. These are two big boys. These are two six foot six heavyweights. Jaili Zhang wins a six round TKO when he pretty much shuts Joe Joyce's right eye. Like it is swelled. Look at the pictures. Um, Zhang was landing 56% of his punches as well. Now, the screwy thing here is I haven't been able to see the actual scorecards. I've been Googling it. Haven't been able to find them. But I believe what I've read is that Joe Joyce was ahead on two cards. Through five rounds, through the five rounds that would have been scored, if it was anything, like the worst case scenario for Zhang would have been 3-2, and I think that's damn near highway robbery. The fact that Joe Joyce was leading on any card is fucking disgraceful. And I think I saw a card that said he was up 4-1. Again, I didn't see the actual cards. I just saw articles about them. Um, and it's just, it's mind-blowing to me. Like, again, the punch, the punch stats aren't everything. Like, that needs to be said. But they matter. Zing was landed at 56% connect. Joe Joyce was landed at 24%. That's a pretty big difference. Zhang was landing a straight right, right through the middle of Joe Joyce's guard. Or straight left, sorry. I apologize. He's a lefty. A straight left hand right through the middle of Joe Joyce's guard all night long. And that's the reason why Joe Joyce's right eye was fucking closed. Like... This was as emphatic as a one-sided fight as I have seen in a long time. That said, Zhang's a nice boxer. I enjoy watching him fight. The, the big man from China, he might be the biggest dude in all of China. But he's he's gassed out. He kind of got robbed in a couple of fights I've seen of his, I think. I think he was a, a questionable decision against Philip Hergovich recently. But I was not, let me reiterate, not impressed with Joe Joyce. He was blocking punches with his face. He wasn't moving. He was straight up and down the whole time. There was no upper body movement. There was no fucking lower body movement for that matter. There was no creativity with his punches. Like they were just <clears throat> the most standard one twos coming right forward. Uh, not impressed. Not impressed. And some said, some people are like, oh, this guy could take out AJ easily. Anthony Joshua would whoop this guy's ass. And I think Anthony Joshua is clearly, at best, the third uh, best fighter in the division. Like, he's behind Usyk and Fury, no doubt. 
And people are like, oh, yeah, Joe Joyce, AJ's ripe for the picking. Line that one up and see what happens. I, I bet Joe Joyce's fucking team is like, no, thank you. I don't even think they're that. I think I saw uh, a, um, a little thing that they're not even that that keen to go back in with uh, with Zhang for round two because it's going to end the exact same way, too. Zhang's going to beat him up. <laughs> Again, I apologize. The The only hope Joe Joyce has is that he can, I don't know, withstand the brush. Now, he does have a chin. He has a chin on because he took some shots. I will give him all the credit in the world. He took a ton of shots and stood right in there. Maybe he can stand right in there and catch him with a big one because he's got a lot of power. Other than that, I don't see it. Moving forward, this weekend, Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis, Saturday night, pay-per-view, like $85 pay-per-view for that matter. It's a fight that we should be happy we're getting as boxing fans because we don't get good fights usually. But is this an $85 fight? Let's just start there. It's a 50-50 fight. I think it'll be a good fight. But is it an $85 pay-per-view? Look at who these dudes have fought. It's not great. It's not great. Their best wins are, what, Jose Pedraza for Tank Davis? And Luke Campbell for Ryan Garcia? Like, is that the... They don't have a... Do they have a real-world title between them? Yeah, sorry. Davis won the the featherweight championship. Yeah, that's his only real... Everything else has been uh, regular titles, which are bullshit. Yeah, Jose Pedraza to win that title is his best. I mean, outside of that, a a totally washed Eurekis Gamboa. Leo Santa Cruz up two to two two fucking um two divisions too big for him himself. And Ryan Garcia is, isn't much better. Like I said, Luke Campbell is probably his best. I mean, Emil to go, absolutely not. Javier Fortuna, uh-uh. So again, this is a fight that's good. It's two young people who are impressive fighters. It should be a fun fight. It's a 50-50 fight in my eyes. I think it'll probably be a fun fight to watch. I'm just, I don't know if they deserve for me to buy this on pay-per-view. Um, let's look at some of the odds. Davis is is minus 280. Um, I, I think that's a little stretched this way. I have no problem with him being the favorite. I think it's a little high. Garcia plus 205. Over under seven and a half rounds. It's minus 115 both ways. Um, a little more exact. Davis by decision is plus 500. I think that's the least likely outcome. I would not do that one. Davis by stoppage, minus 140. Makes sense. The favorite, that's how he's going to win the fight. Draws, plus 1,600. Garcia by decision is plus 800. I think there's a lot of value on that. And then Garcia by stoppage is plus 300. You can get more into the weeds. Um, You can do majority decisions, split decisions. What's Garcia by split decision? Uh, they don't have that on this one. Um, Gervonta Davis by KO plus 275. That's not one. If I were going to do this, I would take Garcia. Just sprinkle some money all around. Garcia to win. I think the, I think the values with Ryan Garcia. I, have, I, I could really see Tank Davis winning. 
I mean, Durante Davis by KO is plus 275. I think that's a great bet. I think if he wins, that's how he wins. Um, Garcia by decision, plus 800. I like that. I think those are the two bets. Javante Davis by KO, Garcia by decision. So we'll see if I buy this. Who knows? It depends if I'm awake when they're getting close to the ring. And if I'm not, which is the biggest likelihood, if like I'm feeling tired, I'm probably not going to buy it. So we'll be back next week to talk about this fight. We're definitely going to talk about it. That's for sure. Okay, quick, uh, quick hockey update this week. Uh, as most of you hear this, the NHL playoffs will have started. Uh, they start on Monday of this week. Uh, about to kick off here as I'm recording this now. Uh, had to, some quick messages from the Gordon brothers. Uh, they wanted to uh, to pass this along via text this week. I, don't know, I guess I'm, they're too good to come on with me here. But uh, uh, this is what I've said. Uh, T-Man says, things are finally looking up for the Flyers. <clears throat> Hopefully Briere can build some shit back and the worst days are behind us. I kind of feel like a hockey moron myself at the moment. Haven't really watched a ton this year. My Stanley Cup pick is Carolina. I'll watch them for, uh, damn it, not one of the, a name. Gospier here. He also, uh, T-Man also mentioned and Hammer Spieth. We all know how that worked out. Uh, H-Man, who last year hit a first round parlay. Uh, he parlayed all his picks into a parlay. Uh, of course, he parlayed all his picks into a parlay last year and won. Um, he wants us to know his first round picks are this. Canes in six, Rangers in seven, Bruins in five, Lightning in six, Wild in seven, Avs in five, Kings in six, Vegas in five. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, H-Man also said... Uh, there is some upside to the Flyers still looking pretty grim, but a couple of the players have said they're a lot closer than fans think, for whatever that's worth. Uh, H-Man also says, Dark Horse for the Cup is L.A. or Vegas. The East is going to be a bloodbath, so by the time the Cup finally rolls around, the winner from the East could be toast. And he did send the picture of the parlay. Boston Bruins, New York Rangers, Colorado Avalanche, Carolina Hurricanes, L.A. Kings, Tampa Bay Lightning, Vegas Golden Knights, Minnesota Wild. That is an eight-pick parlay that is getting plus 13-5-23. So, yeah, let's, uh, let me take a quick peek here. I'm going to make some picks myself. Go down through here ever so quickly. Uh, yeah, we're going to take the Avs. We're going to take the Wild over the Stars. Uh, we'll take Vegas over Winnipeg. I'm going to take the Edmonton Oilers over L.A. I will take the Rangers over Deep Dishes, New Jersey Devils. I'll take the Carolina Hurricanes to beat the Islanders. I will take the Tampa Bay Lightning over the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm, a, I'm kind of a Tampa Bay Lightning, a little bit of a fan there. Was there uh, in a playoff run a couple years ago. And, yeah, we'll take the Boston Bruins over the Florida Panthers. And uh, I won't take any second round games just yet. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick uh, my Stanley Cup finals. I'm going to take the Edmonton Oilers to match up with the Boston Bruins. Heard it here first, people. Time for some passing thoughts now. Uh, I remembered, finally remembered what movie I was watching on the plane that I couldn't remember last week. The Last Samurai with uh, 
with Tom Cruise and oh, who's the samurai guy? I'm the Ken some Ken is it Ken Watanabe? Watanabe. I'm I'm probably butchering his name as usual. Ken Watanabe, yeah, yeah, that was a good movie. Um, I feel like I'd seen like a, a lot of it, but never all together. So, um, good movie. Oh, three, 20 years old, 20 years old, directed by Edward Zwick. He's, he's directed some good movies. I feel like, what do we got here for Edward Zwick? Uh, glory. Yeah, that's a good one. Legends of the fall is a good one. Courage under fire. The siege. I don't remember the siege. I feel like I've probably seen the siege. Oh, blood diamond. Absolute fantastic movie. Defiance is a good one. I like that. Oh, he did one of the Jack Reachers, uh, The Great Wall. I didn't see that, but I think that got uh, panned pretty good. American Assassin. Didn't see that one either. Or Trial by Fire. But he had a good little run there for a while. Uh, I don't know about his more recent stuff, but yeah. Um, I had to fly again for work right after I got back from Phoenix. Um, Madison Airport. Just phenomenal. I love that airport. It's the absolute best. You know what's not the best? People who talk on the phone when you're on the plane. Like, come the fuck on. Send a text. This dude, who I got on the plane right behind, he's talking on his way up to the counter to, like, you know, as you, walk, as you like, scan your, your pass and you get on the plane. He's on the phone. He either hangs up or just puts the phone in his pocket and, like, stops talking and then immediately picks it back up the second we get through to the, like, into the tunnel, into the gate. And it's like jabbering away on the plane. Like when you get on the plane, just sit there and shut the fuck up. Like, seriously, I don't want to hear you. Like I have to be on a flying metal tube scrunched up next to somebody who probably wants fucking two seats for free. Cause they're a fat fuck. Look into that. And I got to listen to you yabber away about shit. I don't care about. How about no, how about no Scott? <sighs> um, fun things I saw. I had a huge layover in uh, in Dallas for like four hours. It's it's awful, by the way. I just walk. It's the same every time I go where I go when I have to go through Dallas. It's a four-hour layover both ways. I just walk the entirety of the airport. <coughs> Excuse me. And at one point I walked by and some dude was just standing out there handing out high fives. I was walking the wrong direction to give him one, but I was laughing my ass off. So I, I rarely like sit down in an airport and eat just because I you typically don't have that much time. Like I said, I have plenty of time going through Dallas. Papa do seafood kitchen. I'm usually wary about this stuff too. I, I apologize. <clears throat> that throat. Papa do seafood kitchen. Hope I'm saying that right. I'm going to totally butcher what I had. They claim they get their stuff in fresh every day. Who knows? That seems sketchy, but I went there. It's a seafood place. I had a shrimp and scallop or a or a chetty or or a chitty or a chetty pasta. It was shrimp and scallops and lump crab with some asparagus and a creamy Parmesan vodka sauce. Mwah, chef's kiss. Delicious. That was fantastic. Uh, maybe the best meal I've ever had. In an airport. Just absolutely fantastic. Uh, oh, I meant to bring this up with E. Uh, apparently there was a possum in a press box in Oakland. And 
that teams a dumpster fire, but so is the stadium. The stadium is a big giant dumpster fire. Well, the possum set up in the where the visiting team uh, announcers set up. The, the Mets were playing them. Well, the possum wasn't leaving, so the Mets announcers had to. They had to find themselves a new booth to uh, to uh, to set up a spot in to call the game. Saw this when I was scrolling through Twitter this weekend. It said, name a band for every letter in your first name. So I was like, no, I'll play along. So Jordan, you know, for those of you who don't know, Jordan's the first name. Went with uh, Jimmy Eat World for J, Oasis for O, Red Hot Chili Peppers for R, Def Leppard for D, and then really brought it home with two bangers, Audio Slave for A and Nirvana for N. So I, I don't know. I found that enjoyable. Uh, also watched uh, Blink-182 at Coachella. It was the first concert they've, I believe, the first concert. I could be very wrong. I think it was the first concert they did together since Tom DeLonge had come back to the band. You know, he's kind of the distinct voice of Blink-182. You'd know him as soon as you heard him. Um, enjoyed it. I, I don't know. I like watching a concert from time to time. Um, you know, you get to you get to hang out at your couch and watch it without having to get crammed in with a bunch of people. So it was traveling, so I was really trying to kill some, uh, had a lot, like I said, a lot of time to kill in, in the uh, in the Dallas airport. Um, was looking for podcasts and, you know, walked the dog every day, like to listen to a podcast, about an hour out doing that. So um, I'm always kind of searching for dumb shit. Well, one of the things I found was No Lane Up does their major deep dives. They, you know, go a couple of years. Um, in some cases, in, in other cases, they do just a single year. And they like break down like the majors of the day. You know, I think the one I listened to was 91 to 93. Another was 2010, 2009 to 2012. And then was there a 2018? No, it wasn't 2018. Let me see. I probably still have it in my episodes. I listened to 91 Ryder Cup. That was going to 91 to 93, 2009 to 2012. And I didn't save the other one. I might be able to find it here if I just click on their thing. Either way, it was really cool. If you like, kind of like golf history, it was pretty sweet. It kind of just like walks you through, um, like who was playing well at the time, the the big events of of the major. Um, it was just interesting. Like if, excuse me, <clears throat> again, if you if you like golf, if you like the history of golf, it, it was pretty cool. Uh, 1995 was the other one. They just did one for, for 1995. So it was cool to kind of learn things about, you know, it wasn't really paying attention to the golf. Then I was pretty young. Uh, the nines, the twelves was cool. Cause that was like that, that like time frame was when I first really started like watching, watching golf. So it was like, Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, other golf related thing, the tiger woods documentary on HBO max. That's a good one. It's two parts, two hour and a half parts, so you can break it up into pretty watchable segments. Really enjoyed that. Um, Tiger Woods, probably the greatest golfer to ever live and doesn't get to have the greatest career that ever lives because his life's kind of been off the rails and injuries and things of that nature. So um, pretty interesting. None of it's, you know, a lot of it with Tiger. Like, I feel like a lot of it's been out there, but there were some news things in there. You get some interesting perspectives um, from different people. And, uh, God, and my next topic is coming up right after this, but, uh, very good. I enjoyed it. Um, uh, my next topic is being sick sucks. I was sick as shit this, uh, this past week. Uh, I woke up in my hotel room 
Thursday and felt like my fucking throat was closing in. Still, you know, got the little the tickle in the throat trying to get over that. So being sick sucks. Um, other things that suck. What doesn't suck is that it was 75, 85 degrees uh, the la- for a few days here. Uh, mowed the yard. I mowed the yard for the first time. Sunday, it fucking snowed. It snowed. Woke up this morning, there was like an inch and a half, two inches of snow on the ground. I went from mowing the yard to fucking snow. Luckily, none of it stuck to the driveway, so I didn't have to, uh, so I didn't have to shovel or anything, but not, uh, not ideal. Not ideal. Um, oh, the fugitive, the fugitive was on TV because the roommate was, uh, was away, um, had a little, had a little travel going on herself and she was staying in a hotel and her and her mom were watching the fugitive and they were about to fall asleep and like, how does this end? And I was like, I'm, I can't believe I'm doing this. And I was like, I don't want to tell you, but I finally broke down and I told him I, I ruined the fugitive. I was like, this is a travesty. So I ended up watching it. What a good movie. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. What a good movie. Great movie. You know, hot take here. I like U.S. Marshals. I know not everybody does, but I like U.S. Marshals. Deal with it, people. Um, And let's cap it with this. Jalen Hurts got paid. Where did that news go? No, 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 no. I had it. Did I not take a picture of it? I didn't take a picture of it. Uh, here we go. 255, five-year, $255 million extension, 179 guaranteed in a no-trade clause. Have to imagine that helps Lamar Jackson get something figured out, like now that they have something that's not the um, not the, uh, the Deshaun Watson contract, so they have something kind of reasonable to go off of. Um, so you'd have to think he, he'll be able to get a... Uh, a contract made in that kind of mold, uh, a lot of money, but not all of it guaranteed. So uh, it feels like we're inching ever closer to a lot of NFL contracts being guaranteed. I mean, they're really the only league that doesn't guarantee them. Obviously, the NFL is different, a lot more injury risk, careers are much shorter. So, um, yeah, so he got his bag. Good for him. Uh, I believe that's about it for this. So let's uh, let's go wrap this thing up. What do you say? closing time everybody let's uh let's wrap this thing up uh again thank you to everybody thank you for listening this week thank you for continuing to listen um i appreciate all you guys so thank you thank you thank you uh big thanks to e uh e comes on pretty much on request so thanks e appreciate it appreciate you for bringing all the uh the baseball knowledge to us back next week like i said we're talking got some things to talk about golf's not gonna probably be one of them uh i got some fights to talk about maybe i'll watch some nba basketball this week who knows um gonna talk probably a little stanley cup playoffs uh we got that fight to talk about grand garcia Durante davis and i'm i think i'm i'm pencil this in i think uh, our man mj is gonna come we're gonna talk a little nfl draft preview we are sneaking up on the nfl draft so hopefully we can lock that down and have that conversation so um back next week Like always, till then, peace.